0: exciting, isn't it, to see young people give their life uh, to Jesus and take this huge step of discipleship in their life to follow Jesus after they've come to clarity about who um, he is. And so thank you uh, for being a part of that in in Adele's life. Hey, um, this morning, if I was to tell you that a preacher and a counselor walked into a... You thought I was going to say bar, didn't you? That's not what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, a preacher and a counselor walked into a church. And we get to hear them today. I'm so excited to hear uh, Josh and Kristen... Um, They are an amazing couple, been in ministry for over uh, 20 years. Um, Josh is uh, uh, part of a pastoral staff team uh, down in Missouri. And uh, Kristen teaches, um, she's a professor of counseling at a university uh, down there. And we are so excited to have them come and share with us this morning. And here's what I want you to know. As they go ahead and come, I want you uh, to know this, that whether you are single as a student, Student, Or you're single as a college um, student or you are single as a young adult or, you know, you're in the middle ages in your young adult or you've been married for 30 plus years. We're going to hear some principles today because they're coming from God's word that you, each one of us, no matter where we are in our stage of life, that we can walk away with. And that's been our prayer. We've been praying for this team and we've been praying that we're all going to be able to walk away and start our year 2023 out in a great way. So let's give them a warm welcome.
1: Thank you guys so much. It's always so exciting to be back here. I know there's more new faces than old faces now as I look out, but um, for those of you that have been around a really long time, you hopefully will remember us. Just to put it in perspective, I was baptized around age 10 or 11, so that would have been 30 years ago, and we got married in June. It'll be 22 years ago right here in this very spot, so um, we are so grateful for the foundation that this church has laid in our lives, and we're always honored and excited to come back and get to speak with you, so Thank you for that, and thank you to Rick. Um, okay, so diving in, our uh, title here is A Roadmap for Relationships. I don't know if you guys remember these at all. I had to borrow this from my father-in-law, who actually, that's really our claim to fame, is uh, I, I'm Stan Kinsevich's daughter-in-law. So actually, he just says my daughter and my son, which gets a little awkward. But anyway, so um, this, you know, we used to have to do that. I don't know how we drove well. Looking at this, I'm not really sure. Uh, You know, when you think about um, relational conflict, maybe particularly maybe in a marriage conflict, um, you know, you think of things we fight about all the time, maybe money or kids or, you know, life decisions, and also asking for directions, right? So um, before about 2010, uh, we had to stop and ask for directions sometimes, or maybe not, and try to find our way. Um, Now we have GPS, and even that, you you can't just, like, blindly follow those instructions. That can go wrong sometimes. Josh, I think you have a good story about that.
2: Yeah, one, about eight, nine years ago, we were... Uh, we had a really good friend named Frank who passed away, and his whole family was from Long Island, and so uh, he, they were having a memorial service for him. It was on a Saturday, so we were going to blitz down there. Uh, it was about five hours. I was living just north of Boston, and uh, we were going to blitz down there. Uh, I was going to lead the memorial service, and then we had to uh, get back up uh, to Boston for church the next morning, because a couple of the people in the car with me were on the worship team. I was one of the pastors, uh, so we, we had to get... Uh, back really really quickly and so the memorial service was beautiful and then uh, we got in the car I plugged in the address for home and I started following the address uh, or the the directions the GPS was giving me and uh, you know we're going along half an hour 45 minutes later and you know you know the computer voice the like in 3.6 uh, you know that came ac- across the speakers and it said in 3 six miles, board the ferry. (laughs) But it was 9.30 at night. There's no ferry at 9.30 at night. Uh, And so we had been going 45 minutes the wrong direction on Long Island to get to the ferry because you can't just follow the GPS. You actually have to know where you're going.
1: Yeah, so that's, I mean, there's a lot of, we had to sift through all the, GPS gone wrong stories, but that was a personal one. But um, yeah, so really, as we as we speak today, we're trying to think about this idea that if we're using a map, if we're using GPS, it still takes work to follow the directions and find our way. And really, the same is true of the Christian life. God has given us this roadmap called the Bible. And wouldn't it be nice if God just kind of like set a direction, and that was just what we did next, and then, you know, and maybe even gave us a heads up in 3.6 miles, and in three months, you will need to turn left, you know, that kind of thing, Um, but it actually just isn't that easy, and it takes work, and so um, faith is not a self-driving car, and even the ones that we have with self-driving cars are not really um, working too well yet, so, um, you know, we have to not only read the Bible, but actually, apply it, understand it, continue a a lifelong journey of um, living it out. And so we hope to dive into that. So our main question here, um, did you hit it? Okay, is um, how can we live in the kingdom of God here and now? And so when you think about this idea of faith, right, and we think about eternal life, we just heard that in the baptism, are we already on that journey or is that something we're just waiting for? Like we're just on pause until we die and then have eternal life i never thought that made sense because we have life right now and so if it's eternal it just means i'm going to just keep going change of address right that's i've heard some people say it that way and so particularly in our friendships and in our marriages in our relationships As we live this out, is it possible for us to live in the kingdom of God here and now? Do we have to wait for eternity for things to kind of work themselves out? Or might we actually bring the kingdom of God into our relationships kind of with this roadmap that we're going to look at um, today? And so, Josh, I'm going to turn it over to you and I'll do this slide.
2: Yeah, and as we think about relationships as one of the areas in which this roadmap helps us move forward in our relationship with God, one of the places where the eternal life gets to be lived out, one of the greatest quotes I have heard, I heard it just earlier this week, uh, and it, it really is a beautiful picture, and it's, it's from Kurt Thompson, and he said, marriage is an art studio in which we are invited to paint a portrait of Jesus through each of our interactions with one another. I think that is stunning. Every relationship you're in, particularly uh, our marriage relationships, we get to think of them as a studio. And we are partnering together to create something beautiful. As followers of Jesus, we know that thing is a portrait of Jesus for the rest of the world to see. And I love the idea that marriage is this creative joint venture. But, you know, I also know that uh, if we mention marriage, uh, there are some folks uh, who have experienced divorce in in the room uh, who the moment that word comes up from a, a, well, not a pulpit, but a a very lovely high-top table, um, from a high-top table in the front of a church, I know that there is an instinct in some people's heart uh, or a magnetic attraction to shame that that somehow there's a an instinctive response of well maybe I just messed that up or I I I failed or they think less of me or whatever and you know I I want to make sure before we jump into talking about relationships and uh we're going to use marriage as a key example, but we are talking about lots of different relationships today. Your relationship with your employer, your relationship with your friends, kids, your relationship with your parents, parents, your relationship with your kids. But as we talk about marriage today, please know if you have experienced divorce that it is never the voice of God that brings shame. It is the voice of God that brings love that brings acceptance, that tells you you are desired and valuable. And uh, we just wanted to make sure we had said that uh, because right now, one of the things I know, and, and you could feel it in worship, is that God loves every single person in this room deeply and passionately. He knows exactly where you're at, and he is so excited to be in relationship with you.
1: Yeah, and we're going to spend um, quite a bit of time. I can uh, do that in a second. We're going to spend quite a bit of time uh, in First John 4 and a few other scriptures. And um, really, it, it's as we were preparing this, it was striking me that these verses are really not particularly pointed at marriage. We are applying them in that one way, but really this is about the body of Christ. And really this is about God's love for us and what we do with that. And so um, no matter what uh, stage of life or season you're in or what kinds of relationships you have, um, really uh, genuinely our heart um, is for you in all of this. And so we're going to go ahead and read 1 John 4:13 to 5, 3. And we've got like all of our electronic things going on here. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. And we're going to kind of pause in between. So um, feel free to turn and you'll just kind of pause. I believe this is the New International Version. Um, okay, it says, This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He's given us His Spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us.
2: Our first direction here as we go on this journey is to start with this foundation. God has given us his spirit. That is the starting point. And our direction is to know and rely on the love God has for us. Now, this particular phrase, to know and rely on God's love, has fascinated me my whole adult life. Uh, It looks like we have some kids in the room. Kids, can I get you to raise your hands? I just want to see how many kids, if you are under, let's say, under teenager. Kids, all right, how many of you kids like sidewalk chalk? Anybody a a sidewalk chalk fan? I got one in the back here. I wish I had sidewalk chalk to give away, but I don't. Um, That would would have been an awesome idea, right? But that did not, that is not. But this is, so when I was uh, in college, I actually ran across this verse, and I got so excited about it that I took with some friends of mine a giant box of sidewalk chalk, and I went... And we wrote these words, know and rely, all over our college campus. And as a matter of fact, so my college campus was all surrounding this one big rectangular quad, uh, and we wrote it on the two buildings, the administration building on one end, uh, and the, uh, the student union at the other end, so big inside walk chalk, that you could see it from anywhere on campus. This seemed like a great idea, but we probably should not have done it uh, graduation weekend when some important people were coming on campus that would have preferred to see a clean and unwritten on campus. The administration was not super excited about that. But I've been really intrigued by this phrase, know and rely on the love God has for you for most of my adult life. And I think sometimes... When you're reading the Bible and a phrase just hits you like that, that might be the Holy Spirit just nudging you to pay attention. And in this situation, I really have wrestled with what does it mean to know and rely? And I think sometimes for me, when I'm in a specific situation, I can immediately translate know and rely into try harder. I am by nature, especially when we're going out the door, a very impatient person. I want to be out the door uh, the second I say, let's go. I see my daughter in the back nodding. Um, she's going to shout a full she's amen in be a second. Like raising her hands uh, in, in acknowledgement of this point. This is this is genuinely something that's hard for me. And so uh, I can be an impatient person. And uh, I think we can often think of knowing and relying on God immediately we can translate into, you know what, I just have to try harder and be a better person. And so the next time I'm ready to go out the door, I'm like biting my nails trying not to say something and like huffing and puffing inside and like clenching up and like being all sorts of aggravated. And somehow that is how I translate this. Let me just, I got to just try harder. And yet I think, I think that the words, no one rely on the love of God. To rely on the Holy Spirit is something far more pervasive in our lives. And honestly, something far more freeing. More and more when I think about this phrase, know and rely on the love God has for us, I find myself thinking about something uh, that's called uh, healthy, secure attachment. Secure attachment in relationships uh, means that you have experienced four basic things in that relationship. Uh, Again, this is from Kurt Thompson. Kurt Thompson says that a a secure relationship, you feel seen, safe, soothed, and secure. Here's what that means. In a a relationship, first of all, you want to feel known, right? You want the person you're relating to to get where you're coming from, to understand you. And then you want to feel okay. It's okay to be coming from where you're coming from. That's the safe part, the other part of being safe in a relationship is that you can bring out the junk, not just the good stuff. You know, the first date of a relationship, you don't let all your gunk spill out, right? But the more safe you are in the dating relationship, the more comfortable you are to let the broken pieces of you come out. This is true in a friendship, in an employer relationship. And then you, we need to feel soothed. Soothed, in this sense, means when something goes wrong, this person is going to make me feel better, not worse. Right? Like, every one of us, ultimately, that's what we're looking for in relationships. Seen, soothed, safe. Seen, soothed, safe, and secure. Um, And the final one, the idea of being secure, is that we have a safe base from which to venture out in. If you know someone is going to help you feel seen, safe, and soothed, it's a whole lot easier to take a risk. Because if you fail, you can go back and they'll love you anyway. And I think when we're talking about knowing and relying on the love God has for us, we're not saying, let me try harder in this individual moment. Instead, we are making that the relationship in which we seek to be seen, soothed, safe, and secure so that we can take risks, so that we can feel less pressure in other relational moments. So that's really when we think about known, knowing and relying on the love God has for us. Think about a a secure attachment to God. But let's keep reading.
1: Yeah, I just want to add to that. First of all, we keep saying Kurt Thompson. He's a Christian neuroscientist. um, Wrote a book called Anatomy of the Soul. And actually a new one that just came out that I don't remember the name of. The the,
2: the, the, something of desire. Soul of desire. Soul of desire. desire.
1: Anyway, Kurt Thompson with a C. So look that up. But um, also just the idea of... God being the foundational relationship and that, you know, when we think of attachment, like parental relationships and things like that, that, you know, often we're looking, whether we're married or not, we're looking to a marital or intimate relationship to be the thing that fulfills us to be the thing that's going to change us, you know. Um, I don't know, honestly, which that, where that happens more. When you're single, maybe if you want to be married or if you're in a marriage wanting the other person to be more for you or something like that, but this idea that God is the foundation from which we get relational satisfaction, from which everything else flows, I think that's, that's so great. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, that's good.
2: And I think this is true in friendships as well. I think sometimes we put too much on our friendships Looking for too much, and they become unhealthy if we don 't have all of this from God, which is why uh, this next verse, if you can hit the clicker, uh, you know if you think about this idea of secure attachment and listen to for that idea here, God is love. whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. we are like Jesus, there is no fear. I- in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love.
1: I feel like we could just stay on that all Let's day just long sit right there. <laughs> The idea that perfect love, which we know is what they 're describing is god 's love for us, is what drives out fear um, and the fact that when we know God we are in a gradual process of healing, that he's healing our fears. And so we're, there's this kind of invitation um, to examine our fears. So here in this, pa- this part of the passage, we see that, you know, God is love. He is the definition of love. You look up love in the dictionary, and there's Jesus's picture, right? Um, and so the idea that in that, God is attentive to our fears And, um, you know, often in relationships, fear gets in the way. It's, it's kind of an emotional blocker that stops us from being able to fully engage in relationship. I can only be vulnerable to the extent that I'm not afraid you're going to hurt me. Maybe like the last person did right again, true in marriage, true in friendships, true in the body of Christ. There are a lot of people who've been hurt in church relationships and it really messes up their relationship with God. And so, um, in this, what we do is we start trying to cope in some different ways. Sometimes we see this in a marriage relationship where maybe the kids become the distraction or the the thing to focus on. And so you don't actually have a relationship with each other. You kind of are just, you know, um, spinning around your kids in order to kind of not have to deal with the underlying stuff that's there for you. Um, Or again, maybe there's friendships that have hurt you or the body of Christ that's hurt you. And so there's all these kind of guardrails up to say, I only can get so close to you. But, you know, God is inviting us into this healing space and really saying, hey, I have this thing, this perfect love that's an antidote a healing thing for you so that you don't have to live this way that you can be well um and so it's an invitation again not a try harder but a there's more for you there's there's a freedom for you um and as a licensed counselor i do always kind of encourage people you know this isn't something we have to just do sometimes we just feel like we can you know we're just going to sit in our prayer closet and just you know, hang on until this healing pops up. I I fully believe in God using people, including counselors to be an agent of change in our lives. And so sometimes we also need that. Um, But I would invite us to think about, okay, what are the fears that are in my way that I am not fully able to engage in the relationships that I'm in because uh, I'm I'm maybe afraid of getting hurt again or something else happening. So let's keep reading, um, and we'll keep going in this passage. Oh, I'm reading this one. Okay, I thought I was tossing that to you. All right, so here we go. Let's keep going. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, can't love God, whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I quote this to my kids all the time, so you better be amening back there. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves a father loves his child as well. And we keep going here. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. I wanted to also point out in John 14:15, Jesus said, "If you love me, keep my commands." And so, I also wanted to point out Matthew 22:36 to 39 where people asked Jesus, "Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law?" And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. I spoke on that a couple years ago when I was here. And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we see this, like, circle where if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What are your commands? To love me and love your neighbor. Okay, how do I do that? Well, by keeping my commands, right? There's just this constant circle of get filled up by my love love me, love your neighbor, get filled up, you know, and so we never kind of leave that. And so, Josh, I'll, I'll toss it over to you.
2: Yeah, so uh, the one thing I want to pause on here is this idea of loving, because a lot of times, again, when we think about choosing to love, what we end up thinking about is those moments when we are not as loving as we could be And we focus in on those moments. So again, for me, uh, the moments when I'm walking out the door, all right, I'm going to focus on those moments and do better. And I think it is a better way to approach the idea of growing in love, because that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about what does it mean to grow in love? Instead of thinking just about the moment, a single moment where we have a decision to make, instead thinking a little bit more more broadly and thinking about the idea of cultivating a disposition of love rather than just choosing, making a choice of love in this moment. In other words, the question we're asking is not, did I make a loving choice in that moment, but am I cultivating a loving character? And that's a whole lot easier to do. I can make choices as I look forward in my day to choose to be a loving person, I can look for opportunities to cultivate that character a whole lot more easily and with a lot more grace and freedom in my life than I can look at, be, suddenly be in the middle of a moment that I find difficult anyway and then try really, really hard. It is a whole lot easier for me at least to depend on God when I'm cultivating a character decision than it is in a moment. And then, and here's the beautiful thing. Recognizing that we are cultivating character means that the goal is not to just suck it up and make it through those hard moments. It's to see those hard moments become easy moments because our character changed. That is a powerful promise. It doesn't have to be complicated and painful for the rest of our lives. If we cultivate the character of love through things like prayer, and self-sacrifice, and a number of things we're going to talk about in just a moment. If we cultivate the character of love, the victory is when that moment that used to be hard is suddenly easy.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I've noticed is that um, there are moments when we lose some of our kind of inhibition. Uh, We lived with an elderly woman and we saw that, um, you know, the things that were really going on in her mind, she blurted out when she was older and I suspect if I had known her when she was younger she might not have, she might have held back on some of those things, right, when you're tired, right that's the moment where it's like, ah, here's what I really think of you, you know, right, and so when we're cultivating this disposition or this character of love, imitating God in that way, then this is the moment we have, when when we have full control of all of our faculties, right when, when we um, don't have as much of that kind of filter what's going to come out. Um, and I've met people who, you know, when their guard is down, what comes out is pretty ugly. And then I've met other people when their guard is down, what comes out is so beautiful. Um, I think of our, your grandmother, Nana, uh, Kathy's mom, um, and she just had such a heart of prayer. And she lived, you know, a, a lifelong journey with God. And so as she aged, it got more and more beautiful rather than kind of a hardening that's kind of revealed. And so for me, I'm always challenged by that to think, okay, how do I um, kind of cultivate this now? So um, let's keep going because I always feel like we get to a place where we're like, okay, this all sounds great, but how do I do it? And so we're going to go through this pretty quick because we're running out of time, but um, we just want to go through kind of some, some steps. You want to just Fly, fly through that. Okay, so um, you're going to take this one.
2: Yeah. So Ephesians five uh, one and two say, says, uh, "Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God." There is something powerful and character changing about looking for opportunities to sacrifice, right? Uh, What a great way to approach marriage. I am walking into the day looking for an opportunity to sacrifice. I am not looking for an opportunity for my spouse to sacrifice, right? Sometimes that's kind of where we go. But man, what is an opportunity I can take in this moment to sacrifice myself,
1: Yeah, and again, even thinking in the body of Christ, right, ministry and things like that, like Mm -hmm. how can I give to the church rather than, you know, what's the church really giving to me in this moment? Um, All right, the second thing is update your to-do list. And so, you know, it's kind of, I was thinking about, you know, New Year's and whatever. We hear things like, you know, diet and exercise is good for you. And we always, what do we think? there's got to be some easier way, right? Like, yeah, okay, that might work. But also this thing I saw on TV that I just like hold and it gives me abs for days, you know? Like, and so uh, unfortunately, this is kind of the like diet and exercise blah stuff. And um, here we see in First Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, very uh, well-known verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. You know, in the Bible, Paul talked about um, spiritual milk versus spiritual food, right? The milk of kind of like, okay, you know, Jesus is the way to heaven. He is our Savior. We're sinners and he died for us and rose, rose again, right? That's the gospel message. We know that. This is the meatiest meat. Like this is the, the tough stew meat that you have to chew for like a long time. And it doesn't always feel good. But thinking about this, if this is my to-do list every day, what does that look like? Unless there's anyone here that feels they have perfected this, in which case we should trade places and you should maybe share some things now on how that how you got that down pat. But for me, this is 100 percent of the rest of my life. This is diet and exercise every day, making good choices. And again, in out of a disposition and character, not just I'm going to muscle my way through and uh, I'm going to be patient, even though I really hate you right now. Like actually. I genuinely love you even though this situation is happening. All right, let's go to the next one.
2: And then this third thing is simply to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You know, it's so easy to think of indulging the flesh, as doing all those obvious sins. It's easy to think of it as, uh, you know, taking a drink when you shouldn't, doing drugs, whatever. Uh, Anything
1: at, anyone else would Yes, exactly. Would, would Anything do.
2: anybody else would do. But how, how, for how many of us is indulging the flesh simply giving in to pride? For how many of us is giving, indulging the flesh choosing myself in a relationship rather than my spouse. Giving into the flesh is so much more subtle. Whereas serving, and freely giving to the other person, again, this is a, a character we can cultivate. Uh, you know, and, and the, the thing, the word that in here caught me as we were reading this earlier was that the word humbly. What does it mean to bring my vulnerable self to this? You know, one of the things I have at least learned in marriage is that if I assume I know how my wife wants to be served, or if I serve her the way I want to serve, I want to be served, it will not be helpful. It will not be meaningful to her. And there has to be a a conversation. I have to come humbly enough to say, I don't even know. I I don't really know what you want. Can you help me understand better? And that takes a level of vulnerability. I want to come in my relationship all put together and feeling good and feeling like I've got everything taken care of. I don't want to come and say, Kristen, you know, I want to ask you about something, but it makes me nervous. It makes me feel insecure. It makes me feel uncomfortable. But I'm going to ask you anyway, How do you need to be served? Um, That is a humble way of approaching serving that starts with conversation, and that forces us to face our fears in a lot of areas of our
1: lives. Yeah. All right. So, um, oh, did we have one more? Serve one another. Okay, we had one more verse on serve one another. Oh, yeah, this is just too, I know we're running low on time here. We're past time, but this is too good to skip I just want to, I mean, Jesus, right? You can't be like, oh, we don't have time for Jesus, so we're just going to move on. Like, So, okay, let's pause here. G- John 13, 3 through 5, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And I've really never noticed about these verses until reading it this time um, that Jesus washing the disciples' feet was a direct response to realizing his own power. And that's often not how we respond. When we figure out we have the power, we have the upper hand kneeling down, Becoming a servant is not often our response. Lording it over the other person, holding on to that for ammo later, right? That's that's what we do. And so just a powerful example. But we're going to um, just end there and just think about this idea that our kingdom destination is really your house, our house today. And what would it look like if all of us did this individually, collectively? the power of the spirit of god just emanating love throughout this body throughout each household represented here it's really overwhelming to think about that and and to me that's that's our lifelong calling so yeah. we're going to turn that back over to pastor Rick thank you so much for letting us Don't share you guys go anywhere though